Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're hearing our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are friends. We're automotive journalists. We love to talk about cars. Those are three things. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can add a fourth one, maybe. Go for it. Uh, we we record this pretty regularly. I think we've got uh, like over 200 episodes I think of the is, podcast. This is something like 250 or 255 oh, or something like that. And uh, before we go any further, I have a couple of um, things to take care of. First of all, I want Ben to pu- plug a couple of the cup. Oh man, I want Ben to plug a couple of the publications he's recently written for. Ben, can you do that for me? Sure. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. And you can find my work at AutoTrader.ca as well as Driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and TechSpot. And additionally, I also want to thank our Ko-Fi contributors, John, James, Gary, and Rob. Um, these guys have uh, have contributed to our Ko-Fi in the past uh, month or so, and we just wanted to say thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it means and, a lot. Uh, yeah, it helps us feel a little bit good about this all this content that we've put out for the past 250 episodes. So, before um, now that now that that's all done, d- dealt with, I would love to talk about some cars, Ben. What do you think? Let's go for it, because that is essentially what we do with this podcast. The first car we're going to talk about is one that I drove a couple of weeks ago at that BMW sort of like grand testing facility. And it's the first one that I can talk to you with a lifted embargo. The other one will be, I think, next week. It'll be the uh, 2 Series. But first, I want to talk to you about the new 4 Series Grand Coupe, which is a 4-door 4 Series. Sammy, I have two questions right off the bat about this new 4 Series. Yeah, sure. First question, is it a hatchback? Yes. Okay, second question. Are they leading the market with the Grand Coupe ahead of the sedan? Or sorry, not the sedan, but the the coupe itself? Is this the first one that's coming out? Because I know this is a new generation of 4 Series. No, the 4 Series coupe has been out for a while. You've probably just seen people driving M4s instead. Um, I think that's... The problem, I believe, is the 4 Series has this um, really obnoxious grill that people can't get over. And probably we point it out every single time we see a 4 Series... And this 4 Series Grand Coupe also has this uh, feature as well um, to go along with a hatchback and frameless windows. Now, I think the whole point of this 4 Series is to be um, a practical enthusiast car in a way, um, in a way that a crossover just isn't and in a way that the 3 Series somehow doesn't deliver. And I, I find that tough because I think the new 3 Series is pretty good. Yeah, as good as the 3 Series might be though, Sammy... We're t- if you're talking practicality, you really can't beat a hatchback. And yeah, totally. I, I haven't driven the new 4 Series, but I have a lot of experience with the older 4 Series Grand Coupe, and it was fantastic in terms of interior room. I, I the, the second row was a little weird, but cargo-wise, it was great. Yeah, the second row still is a little weird. I can't quite... Um... I can't quite call it like more or less practical than the 3 series second row, but that thir- that like lift gate which in the models that I drove was powered, again, really fancy feature there. Uh, it it provides so much extra space. And again, I'm talking about this because I truly believe that this is a very niche market, this sort of um practical enthusiast who doesn't want a hatchback. 
I guess there are no more wagons really on the market. So this is the closest thing they're going to have their hands on, right? The weirdest thing about the Grand Coupe is it doesn't really look all that different from the sedan. Like you would you look at it from the rear and you're kind of kind of trying to pick out okay, this is where the the two of them, you know, stray from each other like you you expect the grand coupe to be kind of bulkier at the back or or maybe the roof line is longer and taller and i'm just not seeing it It, it's almost like a stealth car compared to the one before absolutely this one looks a little bit smoother a little bit sleeker um i'm not sure if you mean it looks closer to the like the three series yeah closer to the three series sedan okay because i actually think it quite like from profile and rear and rear it looks pretty close to the four series coupe as well it is, it is definitely like you described, a stealth sort of um, vehicle. And it's not until you see this. And you know what? Even they've like hidden the, the door handles within the side of the vehicle. It's flush with the, with the door panels, which is really interesting. Um, that They kind of like dig in there. You have to put your fingers in, into this hole to open the car. Anyways, um, <laughs> the vehicle I drove. Wait, is, it, is the hole deep enough to potentially um, house a snake or a scorpion? No, no, this is a safety. This is safe. You can see this this little fl- I it's mean, like flush door handle. You say, I say it's safe, but it doesn't sound safe how you describe it. I'm a little honestly terrified now. The, like the what if it's thing, a hot sunny day and you left your car out in the parking lot and a scorpion's like, this is the perfect I, shade in which to cap yeah. Benjamin unawares and end his life. I think the openings in the grill would probably be perfect. More, more. I think that's the point. Really, yeah, but my they hands said, aren't going there, though. Exactly. So you're going to be safe. They're going to go. Into, the scorpions are going to go into the grill because that's bigger. Additionally, they have these massive air intakes in the front bumper. Um, that's a perfect scorpion spot. <laughs> Nowhere near where your hand will go unless you have a, a habit of sticking your hands in um, BMW's openings. There's also kind of a another styling cue that sets the two vehicles apart. Aside from the doors, is behind the front fender. There's like a fake vent that's made of plastic, yeah. and you don't have that on the three series. And honestly, I could do without it. Uh, yeah, I believe this is part of their like air curtains, aerodynamics, um, and like design. I don't think it really makes that big of a difference. It they doesn't make enough that... of a difference for the three series to have it. So how important can it be? It, it, basically, air flows through this uh, channel in the front bumper um, and uh, extends, I guess, over the, the the wheel well and back behind the back behind the wheel again. To any tr- any more turbulent air can escape through this kind of vent. So, so what's, what's it like to drive? So yeah, I drove two versions of this car. It is offered in uh, America as a uh, rear-wheel drive or an all-wheel drive model, and the two powertrains are actually pretty pretty dramatically different. The rear-wheel drive model features a four-cylinder engine, a turbocharged four, that makes I think 255 horsepower, and the all-wheel drive model is using a turbocharged straight six. It makes 382 horsepower and 369 pounds-feet of torque. And we, we all uh, know that that straight six is making way more than 382 horsepower. And we've also seen this straight six and this four-cylinder, for that matter, in all manner of BMW. So it's not that, like, it's not a special motor in any way or form, uh, a special set of motors in any way or form, but the car feels pretty competent really quick. Even that four-series is surprisingly fast. Um, they say zero to 60 is about... Um, 5.8 seconds, which I think is pretty In good the four-cylinder, four, you mean? In the four-cylinder, while the Grand Coupe does it in about four and a half seconds, actually 4.4. 4. 
There's, um, there's no way it's only a half second difference. I mean, I'm willing to bet that that four series with the straight six will do 60 in under four seconds. Sorry, the difference is more of a second and a half. Sorry. Oh, okay. I said five point. Sorry, five point eight seconds for the four cylinder and four point four for the. Okay, uh, I, I, I was the one who was wrong. Um, and I still stand yeah, by. I, I think, think it's. Right. I still I think, think it's it a can... sub four second car. That would be. I agree with you. I've always felt that these M four forties, they're cornering. They're getting closer and closer to um, M territory. Almost so much that the M cars have to be like dramatically dramatically quick and very expensive for that matter and we said this back in the day i think it first started happening with the m550 we were like i don't think anyone really needs an m5 no the m550 definitely I, I completely agree with you and i think that that might be why we're starting to see all-wheel drive being offered with the m cars because they're starting to get to the point where a rear-wheel drive launch control system isn't going to get them the zero to 60 numbers that are quote-unquote competitive on paper yeah i agree with this um, driving the two cars, again, the powertrain um, is really, it feels like the powertrains that we've seen in the 4 Series Coupe and the 3 Series Sedan. Nothing too special there. Um, and for anybody who's who's expecting a, a, a sports sedan sort of, uh, dri- like an engaging driving feel, this is where this car will come in. It feels a little bit more engaging than the 3 Series. Um, and, and as far as I remember, it feels closer to a 4 Series uh, I didn't drive a four, uh, a four Series Coupe anytime recently, but it did feel harsh, uh, not harsh, but stiff and responsive. That front end was really, uh, I think, communicative in a way with the steering wheel, um, and you can feel sort of the bumps and the uh, and the traction surface, especially in that M440 that I drove. It felt really um, engaging. I think I, we we drove it in some canyons, uh, in some canyon roads. Sorry, not some canyons, but some roads, you know, through some canyons. And it felt uh, really engaging. It is a big car, though. I need to get this get this off my chest. This is a large feeling vehicle. Um, after a couple of after after a couple of turns, you feel pretty good. And then I think when it comes to um, you know braking and and getting ready for a particularly sharp corner, the car starts to rear rear that sort of weight, um, and you kind of understand what's what's happening behind you and you're in a bigger car than you think you are so the powertrain makes the car feel feel small the the weight can make the car feel pretty big so i have always felt since the four series grand coup came on the market that there's no actual reason to buy a three series when this car exists because the cargo compartment alone is enough to sway me towards this car but the fact of the matter is it drives as good or as you're saying even better than a three series so why it's it's odd to me that bmw would make a car that is so much better than its bread and butter like that seems like a risk to me i feel like the it's it's now becoming clear that their three series is not as special as um they thought it was i mean i think x3 x4 x5 um and probably the other x like x2 are eating more of the three series lunch than we probably um in, in these past in these past years must be more popular because it just feels like the, the love on that 3 Series is not there anymore. However, there is still um, a reason for the 3 Series. They do sell a plug-in hybrid version of the car and a more affordable, I think, a 330 um, version of the car, 
which is pretty, which is affordable and allows people to get into the BMW portfolio at a lower price, at a lower price range. I'd also like to point out that it took BMW a long time to get this formula right. For a number of years, back when they were first deciding to put a hatchback on a 3 Series platform, they ended up with the 3 Series GT, which well, I mean, was yeah, a horrible was... vehicle. It, it was it was hideous. It was absolutely hideous. It might have been practical, but it was super ugly. They made a 5 Series GT that was also stupendously ugly. Then they made a vehicle that was a favorite of the show, the 6 Series GT, yep. Which is a vehicle that looks super strange, like not good, not bad, just unusual. But it it offered incredible acceleration and handling, incredible comfort, and a huge amount of interior space. And we we talked about, we actually had a listener who wrote into us to say that they ended up buying one of these vehicles because their local BMW dealership had put a huge discount on it. Because yeah. no one really knew what to do with it. And after they drove it, they were like, this does everything we need it to do. It's like an SUV, but with better handling. And they ended up going home with it. And uh, that that was kind of like, the, the I think, the training wheels that got us to where the Grand Coupes are today, where we had the, the 4 Series that's pretty good. And the 6 Series that, sadly, they made a Grand Coupe version of that that didn't have a hatchback. Which I thought was an odd choice. Uh, is that the case with the 8 Series as well? It, it's not a hatchback. No, it's it? not a hatchback either. But I think once you're at that point... Um, you probably have a second car. Yeah, maybe. Or I think that the Grand Coupe for the 8 Series is just a way for them. It's more of a prestige thing than a practicality thing. Whereas... Yeah, I was looking into some things on... I, I, this is on an alternate you know, tangent. I was looking into the 8 Series family. The trunk of the Grand Coupe is smaller than that of the Cabrio and... Wow, that is surprising. Yeah. So I think they they had to push that sort of trunk space back in order to accommodate the rear seats and rear doors. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but I'm not responsible for that. Oh, okay. Um, Let's talk a little bit about this, because we used to have 3 Series wagons, okay? And those used to be pretty cool, really spacious. Um, they they... They were decently spacious. They weren't hugely spacious. I would be curious to know what the actual usable cargo space difference is between a 3 Series wagon and a 4 Series Grand Coupe. Of the pre... Well, I, when was the last time we had a 3 Series wagon? I think wagon? 2015 I or 2016. That's a long time ago, man. Um, and I mean, I'm I not thought, asking for you to provide that information now, which is something that I would be curious about. I thought that the 3 Series wagon, and, and all of these sports sedan wagons or sport wagons, were the practical enthusiast choice. That's what people went for. And then crossovers started happening, and I think we started seeing the wagon sort of losing favor in terms of um, market share. Well, and but, then, but BMW only offered the three series wagon in North America for a very limited time. That uh, was only available for the E46 and the E90, whatever. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if it's a two or, or whatever comes after that, but yeah, they didn't. You didn't. You couldn't get one in the '90s, even though they were offered in Europe. So they were a little bit behind bringing wagons over here. You, you saw five series wagons in the '90s, uh, and the five series wagon lasted for quite a while in North America. But the three series, I'm not sure why they kind of dragged their feet on it when when Mercedes was bringing over the C. And um, even Audi. Audi had, a, yeah, Audi had a lot of wagons. But I mean, Audi was, you know, Volkswagen has always been very strong on wagons. So that's kind of not a surprise there. This like moving away from wagons is this really weird thing. So Audi, let's talk about Audi. Audi used to be, I think used to offer an A4 wagon. Now they offer something called the A4 All Road, which is this kind of like jacked up um, half crossover, half wagon. And the A6 as well. They have, they have a, an A6 version of that. 
And Mercedes is doing that that as well with the E class. The yes. E class wagon, like jacked up with body cladding. And BMW so far has avoided making this move and instead offering these hatchback sedans in the Grand Coupes. And I think for the enthusiast, this is the better this is the better way to go. This is for somebody who is not interested in the off road like the off road credentials of a practical vehicle, but more interested in the in the space in, in the space and cargo space um, credentials of such. Yeah, vehicle, I, I would right? much rather have one of these hatchbacks than the kind of crossover rewagon look kind of thing. Although I'm happy that those exist because anything that keeps the wagon flame alive is all right by me. Okay, so the 430 version of this car, this is the uh, four cylinder version, starts at forty five thousand dollars, forty five to two hundred. And the all-wheel drive M440 Grand Coupe uh, with all-wheel drive starts at $58,000. So sports sedans um, generally play in this kind of space uh, of around forty dollars to $50,000. Fifty eight sounds like a lot. I think you can get a Genesis for about fifty two. But you can't uh, get a loaded. Genesis with a hatch. And That's right. You can, the closest thing you can get is a Kia Stinger. And apparently nobody bought one of those, which... Is weird. And the Kia Stinger is going to be – I mean, I, I haven't driven the 4 Series, but you're saying it feels like a big car. I'd say the Stinger would feel even larger. Right. You know what? I can't believe I didn't talk about the interior of this car. Me too. Um, the cabin is significantly updated from where the 3 Series is currently at. It is closer to the 4 Series, which means it has a larger um, touchscreen infotainment system. BMW has done a great job of putting these 12.3-inch um, digital gauge clusters right behind the steering wheel. Um, they portray, they have a lot of information, and if you have like uh, the adaptive cruise control and the and the whatever you call it, the driver assistance features, you can also see like a visual representation of the vehicles around it um, in that gauge cluster, and you can also see like a map. You can see um, uh, media information, including like album art. You can see um, there's one more thing I can't remember now that's in there. I can't. I I, I don't know. Okay. Well, it's a very – I really do like that infotainment screen. I mean that uh, gauge cluster. And the infotainment screen, being a touchscreen, is also a pretty big um, upgrade for them as well. Um, Although and- uh, there is an interesting news report that came out recently that says BMW is going to stop offering touchscreens in the 3 Series because they've run out of the uh, chips they need to make touchscreens happen. So for the next little while, if you're ordering a 3 Series, you'll only be able to get one that works with the iDrive controller. And mm. that control and, – and they're giving something like a $500 credit to go with the cars to kind of make you feel better about the fact that you'll forever be using a crippled version of iDrive. So that's uh, the times we live in. That is the time. I mean we've heard about the chip shortage affecting um, feature – not just feature availability but like just some features being gone altogether. We joked about it with the Silverado I believe. It stopped uh, – these new models, these 2021 models won't have cylinder deactivation which all the Silverado enthusiasts were like, good, we turned that off anyway. Well, they, I, don't, I don't know if it was cylinder deactivation, but I do know you can't get Duramax diesels anymore. And they actually stopped building Silverados for a few months this summer because they, they couldn't do it. Um, so you like this, this body style, this hatchback sports sedan thing. Um, I think I agree with you. I do think it's a tiny bit expensive. Um, and I don't think that the rest of the – I mean, it, it is a four series – which is slightly more um, engaging than a 3 Series. And that's it. Is that worth an extra premium over those other vehicles? It's worth it if you don't have to buy a crossover as well. 
Yeah. I think that if you're the kind of person who is looking at a crossover and you're not interested in a sedan because they're not useful, then this is a great alternative to that. It's going to drive a lot better. And it's just, I think it's going to be a more enjoyable overall experience. And you get to have something that's a little bit different than what everyone else is driving, which, as we all know, is something I'm very big on. Well, yeah, you want to talk about practical vehicles that are different than the norm. I think whatever you're, what you're driving this week is the ultimate practical, practical vehicle that people just don't buy. Well, are, are you talking about the 2022 Kia Carnival, Sammy? The Kia Carnival. What a great name for a car that is not an enthusiast car, right? Sammy, I have bought a ticket for every ride at the Kia Carnival. I am all in on this vehicle. Uh, It is a minivan, even though Kia is calling it an MPV, which is a term we haven't heard since Mazda tried to pull that fast one on us back in the 90s, I think. I love Uh, that. But uh, are are you curious to find out why the Kia Carnival is perhaps the best vehicle on the market today? Yeah, tell me about it, man. What's you, you? That is a lot of love for a for a van. I I've driven it, and I didn't come away as impressed with it because I also had one of its competition, uh, uh competing vehicles on hand. But I think in a vacuum, the car can be pretty um, compelling. You tell me about it now. Well, in a vacuum, that's some faint praise there. I think that. The Carnival is the van to beat. Uh, this is a vehicle that I, I I came into this vehicle after driving the Mini Cooper S, which was you know sporty and small and fun and all that stuff. And then I just ended up liking the Carnival so much better. I mean, first of all, for me, th- th- there's two key components that make the Carnival what it is. The interior is fantastic. I had a Prestige Plus uh, trim level. Which, uh, sorry, not not Prestige Plus, SX Prestige. Uh, and Yeah, don't get that, don't get that twisted. They'll come after you. It has a fantastic cabin, really nice leather, really nice details, metal, uh, uh, this is like a dappled metal bar that goes across the dashboard. Um, but the real treat is the second row of seating. It comes with basically Barca loungers, these amazing, like it has a folding ottoman, but unlike past versions of the you, so the carnival is a, is the replacement for the sedona which was yeah. called the carnival everywhere else in the world only only north america got the sedona but this one really goes all out with these second row lounge chairs like you could tilt all the way back like you're in a barbershop uh you can there's there's uh is that the benchmark for me yeah i mean i want to feel like i'm getting a shave at all times while i'm driving okay. Or being driven, I should say. Uh, there's, there's really, there's, you can control seats from a whole bunch of different positions. So if you have kids back there, you can move things around from the driver's seat. From the, if you're in the second row, you have um, USB plugs, not just in the console that's beside you or or whatever, but also in the seat ahead of you. So there's no, no lack of charging. But really, what impresses me about this setup is that for a very long, I mean, outside of North America. Vans are luxury items in Japan, in Korea. They're owned by people who like to be driven around, who uh, enjoy like limo-like levels yeah. of space and accommodations and luxury inside of them. And that's something that was never really translated to North America. Vans were like kind of seen as lowest common denominator uh, family, family, family yeah, haulers. Family yeah. haulers. But when SUVs decimated the van world, the companies that stayed on course, Honda and Toyota. They kind of 
And Chrysler. Well, I, I'm getting to that. Oh, okay. Sorry. Honda and Toyota moved forward with more and more expensive vans that had a larger feature set and kind of left Dodge with the Grand Caravan to fend for itself and pick up contractors and people who were still looking for a bargain with the Grand Caravan. Yeah. That was that was kind of how the market split. But even with all of that, the, the Sienna and the Odyssey never really went all out like you would see in Japan. It just, That's a good call, yeah. They didn't bring – and I feel like Kia has gone all out with the Carnival. And this is a very interesting interpretation of K-Luxury that the other brands were kind of afraid to bring into the picture. And even Chrysler's gotten into the luxury van thing now with the Pacifica, right? So yeah. th- th- there's this mar- – like it was smart of the van manufacturers to say we can't compete with SUVs on sexiness. We, we, we're not even going to try at the lower levels. We'll make lower trim vans, but what you really want – is the upscale stuff. And in addition to the interior, which is fantastic, even the third row has a, has a ton of room. And then when you're using the third row, there's like a super deep bin where you can put cargo where those seats fold into. So yeah. it, it's a lot more useful than an SUV in so many ways. I mean, there's 20 more cubic feet of space inside a Carnival than there is inside a Suburban, which is insane. Wow, yeah. But, I mean, I, I think I really appreciate you describing that these minivans now have really like separated into their own corner to offer something in particular. And while you're right, the, the Honda Odyssey and, and Toyota Sienna had their own kind of approach to kind of like premium minivans with the Odyssey offering features like a mini, like a, like a vac and the, a vacuum, sorry. And the, what's that other one? The Sienna had like a hybrid, which I think is another way to and and all wheel drive as well, which was kind of their right. thing for a while. But I think you're right. If you're going to go and show off what you're going to have with a minivan, what the Carnival offers at that top trim is 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 amazing. It's really brilliant. To me, in our market, the luxury minivan isn't a isn't a segment, isn't a thing. And to me, I always approached the minivan segment as one that was about. Um, dealing with a family rather than sort of a uh, um, a limo sort of thing. But you can, sort of with, you can deal with the family in an upscale way with this vehicle. And I think that, you know, seeding the market at the lower end to crossovers was a smart idea because there are no small minivans, right? Like it doesn't really compute. They, they're, they're, they've tried it a few times. I think the Nissan Quest was a van that tried to do the short wheelbase thing. There was a Dodge Caravan, obviously. Uh, which was was short wheelbase for a long time. I think they got rid of that though at the at the end of the two thousands. But with a crossover, you can go small, you can go compact, and you can reduce the price accordingly. But with a van, it's always going to be big and van like. So why not go all the way with that? And and to further that attitude, the other thing that I really liked about the Carnival is the drive. It is oh su- yeah super insulated, really soft, like Letter Kenny super soft birthday party soft. And it has a decent amount of power. It's 290 horsepower from a 3.5 liter V6. You're, you're basically taking the drivetrain from a Telluride, or sorry, not a Telluride, a Sorento, and you're putting it underneath the um, Carnival minus the all-wheel drive. It has an eight-speed automatic just like the, the Sorento. Even the front ends are similar, Sorento and Carnival. Yeah. Um, the, the only aspect of that, I think, that some people might find weird about how the Carnival looks is just like this chrome buttress flying pillar uh, just behind yeah. the rear doors. It, it's attention-getting. It's very much an affectation. I can take it or leave it, but everything else about the van looks good. So you add up this phenomenal interior, a very, very comfortable, um, almost floaty drivetrain and suspension setup, 
mm-hmm. and the pricing of the vehicle, the, the top tier starts at 46000 which is 10% lower than what you would get from a top-tier Sienna or Odyssey. And the bottom tier is around thirty two grand, but I don't think anyone's really buying that van. I think this is you want to get this SX Prestige model. And I was just super impressed that they did something different. They didn't try to mimic the competition. They decided to showcase what they did well, which is kind of that same stealth luxury that we're seeing in vehicles like the Telluride, like the Hyundai. Um, oh, my goodness. I always forget the name, Sammy. The full the, the full size Hyundai SUV. Uh, what's it called? An, oh, the full size. It's the Palisade. Yeah, man. the Palisade. You know I never remember that. So, it, I find that the interior inside the the Carnival is just as nice as the the Telluride or the Palisade, and that's saying a lot. Uh, yeah, I can't recall. Um, I remember having a slight issue with the powertrain of this Carnival, where the transmission felt maybe kind of like CVT like. Well, it kind of sounds a little CVT-like, like it's starting in second gear a lot of the time. Okay. Um, it's fine because the vans are not meant to be driven in an aggressive yeah. way. They're, I, you can't really judge uh, a, the handling or acceleration of a van the same way you would another vehicle. It's going to be driven relaxed. It's going to be driven filled with people a lot of the time. I don't think there are a lot of empty vans driving around out there. This is something you buy because you have to buy it. Mm-hmm. But the amount of space you get inside is just so much better than even the largest SUVs that cost so much more money. And this is easier to drive in traffic, easier to park, and I think it looks pretty good. So altogether, I feel like the Carnival is a strong competitor to SUVs. There's no all-wheel drive. Most people don't need all-wheel drive, so that's fine to me. The price okay. is right. And, I I mean, we know that Kia has a good reputation for reliability and a very strong warranty. So, I was super impressed with this vehicle. I wasn't expecting to be super impressed, but here we are. I love it when a good surprise like that happens, right? Yeah. I, 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 I legitimately enjoy driving it around. It was a calming experience the entire time. And, and everything about the cockpit as well. Uh, you were talking about the, the infotainment system in the BMW. I find that Kia does a really good job these days. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. it's easy to use buttons and uh, dials where I want them to be instead of just using on-screen controls all the time. And uh, tons of storage everywhere, even up front. That's really interesting. See, for again, I'm going to go back to what I thought was appealing in the minivans that I've driven and why I think the Pacifica is a better choice for a lot of buyers. The stone, the stone go second row um, seems a little bit more practical because you can't remove those massive second row seats. I actually think you can remove them. Well, you can, but it's not easy. And I would say you can remove them, and you can't. But they don't go, and you have to take them out and put them in your garage. Yeah, I mean, you can fold them flat. I'm pretty sure, but you, they're still going to be. You don't get a totally flat load floor, and that would be an issue. I think Mm -hmm. you, you only get them in the prestige trim. Prestige, yeah. the the prestige SX prestige. So if that's really important to you, you can get one step down. But I think that if you're buying the vehicle to haul people, you're going to be happy with that seating arrangement because the rear row, when it's folded, gives you a ton of room behind them, and you can really move them far up too. So I I do think that it is a uh, a, a still. I, I wouldn't say that Stow and Go is a feature that kills the Carnival's chances in comparison. No. I think it just depends on how you plan to use the van. And then the other thing was the Pacifica um, has an, a, a rear seat info uh, entertainment system 
that allows the like two passengers or the two screens to like interact with each other. So you can have like games of like checkers and chess and stuff like that. Which I found like I don't think there is a rear seat entertainment option, and I think that makes sense because a lot of people have their own devices that they yeah. bring into cars. But I just thought that like multiplayer aspect of it was kind of cool. But then again, you know, I I think back to when I was growing up, my sister would probably never want to play anything with me, so <laughs> just playing playing checkers by myself, I guess. Well, I mean, you could make a robot friend that way. Maybe that's why you're so enamored of the artificial intelligence in the Subaru Forester. I'm telling you, I don't think me and the Subaru Forester are getting along these days. I've got to, I've got to talk to Subaru about how come he hasn't called me in so long. Well, maybe, uh, maybe if um, you <laughs> honestly, I have no comeback for that. That's just way, that's just <laughs> yeah, way that's too true. sad. I was like, yeah. I was like, oh man, I can make a joke about this, or I could just cry silently inside of myself while I imagine Look, Sammy's childhood. But <laughs> the pandemic has affected a lot of relationships, and I think me and the Subaru <laughs> Forester. Maybe the Forester just doesn't know how to get started. Doesn't know how to reach out. That's true. How much does this carnival cost? It costs forty six thousand. The top tier is forty six thousand, and the base tier is thirty two. But at forty six, you're still well below like a Sienna or an Odyssey, which are around or above fifty at the top okay. level. Do you think there's ever going to be a space where a luxury brand has a, a minivan market in for a minivan for sale in, in North America? Because I, don't I believe think, I really don't think so. In Europe, we see a lot of Mercedes Sprinters um, and and Metris or whatever it's called. E-class. Metris never really took off here, did it? No. And I think in Japan they have a Lexus. Van. Oh yeah, there's all sorts of. I mean, even even I mean, looking past Lexus, there's just so many more vans or MPVs, multi multi passenger vehicles or multi purpose vehicles, whatever you want to call them. Um, yeah. So th- there's a huge like panoply of options that includes a lot of luxury. Cool. Anything else you want to talk about with this uh, carnival? No, I, I love just, that you. you I think it's fantastic. I think if you're in the market for a family vehicle, you owe it to yourself to drive this. If you I, want, if you I want agree. a high end family vehicle, I should say. So th- that's the question, actually. Do you think that the this experience scales down to the lesser trimmed versions? If you didn't have that second row, do you think because there's only one motor for this vehicle, there's only one powertrain, right? I mean, the suspension tuning in the engine would be good, but for yeah. me, it's really about the luxury aspect of this van. That is what yeah, I've chosen tr- to focus the on. The details, the trimming, the seats, everything like that, which comes together in this SX Prestige model. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, I want to close out this week's episode by talking about video games. I think you know more than anyone else that video games had a pretty significant um, impact on my automotive enthusiasm. And uh, I've been spending the last short while playing some new video games that I think really captured this enthusiasm really well. Well, I mean, you I just think... kind of explained to us that video games raised you as you lived in a silent world with no friendships <laughs> exactly. as a child. My sister was never there to play anything with me, so I had to I had to make my digital polygonal friends. Um, I, but I, I mean, I grew up, and I, and I think games like Outrun and Gran Turismo and like Beetle Adventure Racing and you know Mario Kart and other stuff like that really helped, um, and not to mention Need for Speed, how did I forget that, um, really informed my sort of uh, automotive enthusiasm and got me to where I am today. And I think there was also another toy that's in there, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I think modern-day enthusiasts are really going to fall for this um, Forza Horizon um, game that just came out recently. It's called Forza Horizon 5, and I actually think that it is it extends well beyond automotive enthusiasts. While there are things like barn finds and modifications and like, you know, wide body kits and all sorts of things that you think might just be catering to a specific demographic, 
the car the, the the game really just throws cars and exploration at you at this unbelievable pace that is like it's exhilarating it's really fun so I, I i had actually heard that someone was saying that it's actually too easy to get cars in forza 5 how do you feel about that I agree with it. There, the game doesn't really encourage you to. You buy cars in the in the what they call, I think, uh, an auto auto show. Um, whenever you feel like you want a specific car, so I think that's really funny. The game just hands cars to you out pretty frequently. Um, and this year, the game takes place in a fictionalized version of Mexico, a really like condensed Mexican uh, landscape, which is really fun. And there's a little bit more, like, of this Mexican culture and stuff, which I think is really cool because the previous game took place in the UK, and the game before that was in Australia, and they never really leaned into that sort of uh, influence that the landscape might have on the game, um, and I thought that this really works out here. For example, like, the uh, some of the barn finds that you find are, like, Baja-style racers or these uh, Volkswagen Beetles, which they call the, the Vocho, very important to the Mexican uh, demographic uh, of car enthusiasts there. So I, th- I found this game to be really, really fun, really engaging. And they've had these extra like story modes um, and beats that help push this game along at a different pace than it used to be. And I think that really, it really delivers a feeling of car fun without being all for like super car nerds, which I think Gran Turismo can sometimes feel inaccessible because it's kind of difficult. And if you don't know, you know, the, the the benefits of rear-wheel drive and all-wheel drive or turbocharged here or different gears, um, which, hey, some new enthusiasts might not, or new car fans or pe- budding enthusiasts might not know everything about cars. But, I mean, the, there was an, an arcade mode for Gran Turismo, right? Yeah, and that was a, that's, that, that was a lot of fun. Um, the other thing that I played was a game called Hot Wheels Unleashed. Now, I got this one for my Nintendo Switch, which might, be the, might not be the most um, fully featured way to, to play this game, but... Another way of, of connecting to the, to the world of automotive enthusiasts has been Hot Wheels. I think you have a pretty decent collection of Hot Wheels, and I know a lot of other um, journalists and, and people that we connect, to, connect with on Instagram and Twitter have a ton of Hot Wheels, and they love to show us their collection. This game is a ton of fun, this Hot Wheels Unleashed game. It's so silly. It really does it, – it is a, another arcade game, but somehow – can like feel a little realistic. The developers used to make some sim-like racing games and decided to tackle this these die-cast racing game. So you drive on the usual, you know, orange um, tracks. Uh, the game uh, encourages you to drift, which rewards you with a boost. Uh, there's loop-de-loops. There's those usual like toys that, like for example, a spider that spits out like some sticky stuff on the track. Wait a minute, usual toys. But how would I? But Explain yourself. Sorry, not unusual toys. You know when you used to get, like, those track kits from Hot Wheels? Um, and they would have, like, an obstacle on the track, like a dinosaur or a spider. Or, I've never uh, seen that. Scorpion. You don't, I don't think you bought many tracks, did wow. you? Wow. Uh, Wait a minute. First track. of all, you do not know anything about my childhood because I've kept it a secret <laughs> from you. That's right. You've but, never mentioned it. 
No. You don't but, remember like when the, the, the Hot Wheels used to make like those figure eight tracks then yes. the obstacle was like avoid the middle of the Yeah, I avoid. remember that, but I don't remember them coming with like a third party obstacle like that spit yeah. something on the track or I don't know, it had a dinosaur mouth. That seems like maybe I just Maybe my parents kept that from me because they were like, this is some next level Hot Wheels. That How Benjamin... did you miss the commercials for this stuff? I don't know. I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of TV as a child, which More is probably how I turned, turned off the commercials and they turned the TV back on when they thought the commercials were over. So my question is, can I scan Hot Wheels that I currently own and play them in the game? No, that would be so cool. But there are like uh, there are a lot of currently licensed like or currently available. Not currently. What can I say? Like legendary hot wheels uh vehicles in this in this game as well as like licensed vehicles like like mustangs and lamborghinis and and uh, conosegs another hilarious part about this game while it all takes place on tracks in like environments like a basement or a construction site or a or like a, a school classroom if you like go flying off the track which is something that happens if you've ever played with Hot Wheels, they fly off the track all the time. Yeah, I didn't need a spider spitting to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. You could just drive on the floor of this of this room, which I think is really hilarious. It's like a, a funny little Easter egg. And I think the game rewards that if you, like, explore in this, like, classroom, you can, like, find a secret vehicle. It is a game that I don't think got a lot of press or credit. It was a little – it's a little bit cheaper than most full-priced um, racing games. And I have been enjoying it. It's also got a really funky soundtrack – um, that I, I just wasn't expecting. So a little, uh, if, if, you, if the asking price of, say, something like Forza Horizon is too, too much, I would really point some enthusiasts towards um, Hot Wheels Unleashed, which is, avail- which is available for a bunch of different um, platforms. And if you get it for, like, PC and PS4, you'll also see, like, details like the stamping underneath the car, like, you know, it says where the, where the car was made. You can also see, like, a thumbprint on the windshield as if, you know, there was a person who picked up this car and put it on the track, and you can kind of see that um, reflected in the in the graphical fidelity, the graphical details there. It's a silly game, and I thought that uh, our listeners might want to hear a little bit about it. So, so if if anyone out there has anything they wanted to share about their own favorite car driving games because i mean this is something sammy and i have talked about a bunch of times on the show we'd love to hear from you and there's there's a bunch of ways to do that the uh easiest way is to go to the website www.unnamedautomotivepodcast.com there is a form you can fill out there that form it uh goes directly into our inbox and we get your messages and everybody's happy but if you don't have web access and you still want to get in touch you can do that on twitter you can reach sammy he's sammy uh he's at sammy underscore ha like you're laughing i am on instagram at Hunting Benjamin, or you could email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Um, additionally, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so that you hear the next episode as soon as it comes out. Um, you can do that by clicking on a bunch of buttons at the top of our um, website, or you can go to your favorite favorite podcatcher, click through there, um, or search for us in there and subscribe. One last thing, we mentioned our Ko-Fi uh, sorry, our Ko-Fi contributors at the top of the episode, John, James, Gary, Rob. Thanks again, guys. If you, dear listener, want to contribute as well, just head on over to Ko-Fi. That's ko-fi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast. And you can send us a little tip for um, this week's episodes or any previous ones or the future episodes that you want us to make. Um, We really appreciate the support. It goes a long way. All right, thank you. And Sammy, what are you going to be driving uh, next week that we're going to be talking about? 
I have a couple of things to talk about. It depends on my mood, I guess. Wow. I would love to talk about the new BMW 2 Series, but I'm also driving a brand new Nissan Rogue, which has a very different, um, a very important different component than the last year model. I'm going to be talking about the 2022 Nissan Frontier pickup, which I believe, Sammy, you had the chance to drive for a few minutes uh, at a recent event. I've spent a week with it, and I've got a lot to say. (laughs) I can't wait. I'll talk to you then, okay? All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye.